Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Just a little while ago, um, a temptation came knocking on my door that would normally wouldn't make it past the first, uh, you know, entranceway of my mind. And, um, and I subsequently dealt with it, but I was shocked in myself that I allowed it to even step in the door. And it really arrested my attention. And you know, you know, you know what it's like sometimes if you're kind of caught off guard? So what does being caught off guard mean? And, uh, and, I, and, and as I began to pray about it, I said to the Lord, I'm not happy with this. And, uh, and then the Lord began to take me into the scripture as a result of that. And over the last uh, couple of months, I've just been percolating away on something I want to share with you. Now, please remember that I love you and that you love me. All right? <laughs> I want you to remember that before I start preaching today, okay? So I still want to be your favorite friend at the end of the message. Uh, but I, I've, I've, you know, the, 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 true nature of, the true nature of prophetic preaching is that you share it as it comes. Amen. We don't dress it up. We don't dress it down. We just allow ourselves to be a pipe in which the Lord can flow through. So I want to be able to do that today. So before I pray, I'm just going to read a couple of verses to you. First one from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, amen. How about that? You've all, if you know Jesus today, you've had a but God experience where someone else had plans for your life, but God stepped into your world. Amen. And it says here, here's his nature. He's rich in mercy. Do you know what that means? That means we don't get what we deserve. That's what the mercy of God is. We all deserve what uh, Susanna was talking about this morning. Eternity without God. But God who is rich in mercy, praise His name this morning. Because of His great love, which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespass. You might have been alive walking around in your body, but your spirit was dead to God until you met Jesus Christ. You were dead because of your trespasses, your wrongdoings, my wrongdoings, because of my trespasses and my sins. And then God has made us alive together with Christ. Woohoo! You have been made alive today through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. If it wasn't for Jesus, none of us could experience being alive, being truly alive, alive to God and dead to sin. And how, how can that be? By grace, you have been saved. Did you know it's a welcome message for us to remind ourselves today, not one person will be in heaven because of their good works. Not one of us are good enough to make it through the pearly gates. That's why Jesus had to come so that through His experience of paying for your sins and paying for my sins, now the way has been made open. This is the gospel. Is this good news? 
I think this is fantastic news that Jesus has freely given you a passport that you can enter from eternal death into eternal life, that you can pass from this world when you give up your last breath. It doesn't have to be a terrifying experience, but it can be an experience of love, joy, peace as your spirit leaves your body that you can enter into eternity with Jesus today because of His grace and His unmerited favour and mercy, you can be saved. Wow. What a powerful verse of Scripture today. And not only have you been made alive, look at this, two other things. You've been made alive and you've been raised up. You've been raised up no longer to lie down, no longer to be a nobody, but you've been raised up together with Christ. Jesus will always take you into a place of ascendancy. He will always take you to a better, higher place in your life when you are connected with Christ today. And not only that, but thirdly, He's made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Look at that. He's made us alive. He's raised us up. And now we're seated in heavenly places with Christ. What powerful scriptures. This is God's plan. God's plan is for you not to be an empty shell walking around this planet, wondering what on earth your purpose is in life, wondering what on earth you are here for. You are here by divine appointment and destiny by the Holy Spirit to be somebody heading somewhere with a plan and a purpose within your life. Jesus has made it possible. Now, by contrast, I'm going to read you a second scripture. And this scripture, remember the first scripture I've just read to you was written to the church at Ephesus at about 68 AD. The second verse is recorded from Revelation from the Apostle John who has been banished to the island of Patmos And he receives a divine encounter from God. And God gives him a message to the seven churches in Asia. And he speaks a message to the same church that Paul just wrote to, which I've just read to you. Now, here's the message 30 years later. 30 years later, here comes another message to the same congregation. Here it is. Revelation 2 verse 3. And you have persevered, and you have patience, and you've labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Isn't that a great quality to have? So this is like the good old school teacher strategy. When, you, when you've got to tell a student off, you give them first some encouraging news, and then you hit them with the bad news. And so Jesus encourages them. He says, you've hung in there. Even when times have been tough, you've persevered, you've kept going, you haven't given up, you've kept on with me through all these these last 30 years. And then he says this, nevertheless, I have this against you. I thought God was for me. And yet this verse says, Jesus has something against this beautiful congregation, that you have left your first love. Hmm. We better pray about that one. Let's close our eyes for a moment. 
Father, I thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the quickening of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the amazing grace that's upon each and every hearer of this word today. Without your mercy and without your grace, we could never be partakers of the divine nature. Today, Lord, we recognize and we humble ourselves knowing that freely you have touched our lives. And as we open the Word of God today, I pray that we would, we would open our mind and our spirit to the words of God. Father, may my personality and my traits that I have that would get in the way of a pure message from heaven, Lord, may it be put to one side and may today we hear the unadulterated Word of the Lord to our hearts. We're asking this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. It was a beautiful Middle Eastern spring evening. He couldn't sleep. So he decided to get up for a stroll as the sun was going down. And as he strolled across the rooftop, thinking about how far his kingdom had come, how once something which was out of order and in chaos had become an incredibly well-oiled machine. How infrastructure had been put in place within his kingdom. How his nation had risen to the fore and was now a formidable force to all the surrounding nations. And as he walked across the rooftop that night, suddenly at the corner of his eye, he saw a glint, a shiny object. And as he turned his head, he suddenly realized the shiny object was none other than a beautiful woman who was bathing naked. Remember, he's elevated. He's looking down into the city. And there he sees one of the most beautiful women he's ever laid his eyes on. And immediately, he sends his servants to make inquiries about the woman who lived at that house. News came back. Who she was, that she was in fact a married woman. And that her husband was one of his frontline soldiers, mentioned in Scripture as one of the top 37 warriors in his army. An army of tens of thousands of men. He was in the top 37. He was a man of courage. He was a warrior. Suddenly, she opens the door. And there's the servants, the messengers of the king, saying, you must come with us. The king has called for you. So she quickly gathers together her stuff. Terrified that she's done something wrong. Searching her mind for what could it be that I've done that's caused me to be summoned into the palace of the king. And as they hasten her in through the palace gates and in through the doors of the palace, she's brought into the room where there is their mighty warrior king, fearsome and awesome at the same time, a man with legendary status. 
She can barely lift her head to look at his eyes because she's awed that she's in the presence of the king. And before she knows it, all the attendants have left. And as she looks into the eyes of the king, she sees a look looking back at him, and she's seen that look before. And she suddenly realizes why she's been summoned, why the attendants have all left. And then it takes place, and she's sent back home. We all know the story. And we're thinking to ourselves, as we're reading about someone else's life, the king was David. He found out all this information, and yet he still sent for the woman knowingly that she was already joined to another man. Knowing who that man was, knowing that, in fact, if you trace through Scripture, that his father was none other than the great Eliam, one of the tremendous warriors in David's army, and knowing something else, that his grandfather was once the great personal counselor of the king, and yet he still went and asked for the woman to come before he had sex with her and then sent her home. How could this happen? How could this happen to a man whom the Bible describes as a man whose very own heart was the heart after God? Well, we can track part of the story and part of the answer today to 2 Samuel chapter 11, where the Bible says in verse 1, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him. Right here we have the first clue that for some reason David is no longer going out into the battle himself, but he's delegating a job which was his to others. That he's no longer living on the cutting edge of the front line of the call of God upon his life for which God had raised him up and many enemies had been defeated at his command. He wasn't some pussy-footed king that would just laze back in the palace. He was a frontline warrior who had led his troops into battle all of his life. And yet, at a time when kings go out to war, he delegated away the very purpose and job which God had raised him up for. He was now absent. He was relaxing on the rooftop of his palace. David had come into a place of comfort. Once upon a time, this same man years earlier, who had no palace, who had no job, who had no resources, who had no money, who was being hunted down like a dirty dog fugitive by the current king of the day called Saul, who was living in caves in the southern regions of the nation of Israel, whose bed was a craggy walled rock inside of a cave. 
And yet the same man at the same season within his life wrote incredible words to a song that went like this. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. Whether I'm feeling good, whether I'm feeling not so good, I've got a testimony that I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Praise was never absent from the lips of the warrior king. He said, my soul shall make boast in the Lord. His whole focus was about God. His whole, his whole attitude, the whole compass of his life pointed to heaven. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Do you know what that means? The ordinary commoner. When they hear the words of my song and my praise, they'll be so glad because they think I can join in. If David can sing a song like this, I can join in with him as well. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Was this what David was now doing? Was this act of adultery and treason that led on to a despicable act of sending the man who was married to this woman called Bathsheba, sending the man to the front lines after he tried to liquor him up. He called him from the, you know why he did this? Because suddenly, a few months later, Bathsheba never got her period. And we all know what that means, friends. And so she sends a message to the king and she says, I am with child. And you know what that means under the Old Testament rulership? If you commit adultery, then you were to be stoned. So this is now Operation Cover-Up. Operation Cover-Up began the moment that David made a choice rather than to own up to what was going on behind closed doors, to make a choice that he was going to enter down the path of deception and still look like a great king from the outside, but from the inside. His heart had turned into a cesspit of immorality that led to adultery. David had come into a place of ease and comfort. The word comfort means a state of ease, freedom from pain or hardship. David had backed off. He'd backed off from being a a pursuer and a worshiper. He'd backed off from being the one that would wait on God and receive incredible lyrics that would lead a whole nation into worship. He'd backed off from being close to the very heart of the one who had saved him so many times in those rocks and those caves and those valleys, the many times that he'd been ambushed by his enemies and yet somehow he miraculously lived. David had backed off and turned away from being close to the King of Kings. He'd become complacent. What does complacent mean? It means becoming self-satisfied. Another word for that is smug. He'd become smug. A feeling of quiet, a quiet pleasure or security, often while unaware of potential danger lurking in the wings. A complacent person is in a dangerous position because they no longer see the danger signs of what's about to happen around about their lives because of the comfort and the complacency around about them. You see, friends, David was a bit like us. We met Jesus and we were made alive in Christ. Do you remember what it was like when you received Jesus Christ? 
Do you remember the feeling of the, the freshness? The, the, your eyes had been opened to the king. Your, your whole world, your, your, the, the center of your being was now a complete one focus. This one thing have I desired, Lord, that I will seek after you all the days of my life. And we're passionate and we're in pursuit of the king. We've been raised up together with Christ, being made fully alive. And we begin to live our lives differently. We live our life with, with life and zest and breath and pursuing of the King of Kings. And then we hear the words to the same congregation 30 years later, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. David had become lukewarm. He was tepid at best. How many of you like tepid food? That's why we've got an invention called a microwave. Because nobody likes anything tepid. And God hates tepid living. He said, I'd rather have you hot or cold, but to have you lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth, which we'll come to in a minute. Not my words, the words of Christ. David had become lukewarm. Maybe we can see ourselves in David's life. Maybe once you were on the cutting edge of your walk with God. You were one of the ones that never missed a prayer meeting. If somebody missed a prayer meeting, they were wondering if, if you were dead. If you hadn't got up that morning because you were so committed that you were there every single week. You were available to serve at the drop of a hat. Yes, pastor, I'll do that for you. Let me know. Whatever Is there anything else you would like me to do? You knew what it was like for the Spirit to move in your life. God would give you prophetic words. You would have words of knowledge. God would lead you into circumstances like he did with Susanna. Did you know that the girl that Susanna led to the Lord, the woman, the 70-year-old woman that Susanna led to the Lord this week, she got her instructions before she left home. That today was the day of salvation for this woman. Why is that? Because Susanna's drawn near to God and she's listening She's, she's inclining her ear to hear what the Spirit is saying before she even leaves the door of her house in the morning. But like David, we can so easily be drawn aside by the shiny object of human flesh, by the glitter of the world and the empty promises that the world will make to you, where the Bible says that that the pleasures of sin only last for a season. You can go to a spike and up to a high with the pleasures of sin. And then the next day you'll be in depression and you'll be down in the dumps because that's how the devil works. Have we got our ears on this morning, church? But maybe that's not the worst part. The worst part, in my opinion, and David had lost all sensitivity and his relationship with the Lord, it was absent. He was numb. He was so numb to the point that he had operation cover-up and full swing as soon as Bathsheba told him that she was pregnant. Do you know what he did? He called for her husband to come off the front lines. They were at war. He was a soldier. He was a loyal man. He was a subject of the king. And do you know what his plan was? His plan was a plan of deception to bring Uriah back from the front lines and let him go and visit his wife while he was there so that it would seem like the baby that was about to be born was his baby, not David's baby. 
So he's now entered into an operation of deception. And you see, friends, this is how sin works. That's why the Bible says that sin crouches at the door of our lives looking for an entry point. Just like the temptation I told you about at the beginning of my sermon today. Where I was shocked at my lack of immediate response to that temptation. Did I deal with it? Yes, I did. But it, it caught my heart and I thought, God, what is happening here? Something needs to be rectified within my heart. You see, brothers and sisters, the spiritual disease of being lukewarm, in my opinion, is just as dangerous as cancer. Over 30 years of ministry, I've seen so many people go out the back door of the church. I've watched them go from hot to not so hot, to warm, to lukewarm. And before I know it, they're back in the place that they were when they came to the Lord as they've gone out the back door. Revelation, Jesus said it like this. He spoke to another church of Laodicea and he said this, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. In other words, the one that doesn't lie. He says, I'm going to tell you the truth, church of Laodicea. And did you know out of the seven churches that Jesus brought a message to in the book of Revelation, this is the only one that doesn't get an encouragement first before it gets told off. There's no word of encouragement to the church at Laodicea. The only one out of the seven. What did he have to say to them? He said this, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I've become wealthy and I have need of nothing. And do you not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. They had lost their first love. They become lukewarm. They had become comfortable. I want you to register that word in your spirit today. They had become comfortable because they had said, I, I have no needs. I have all that I need. I'm wealthy and I'm comfortable. And Jesus said, no, you're not. You're wretched. You're miserable you're poor, and you're blind. You see, the history books will tell us that Laodicea was on the road up in Syria that then turned and came down through Syria, uh, sorry, through Turkey and through Syria down into Israel. And the reputation, the history books of Laodicea, they had an earthquake in AD 61, the city was so wealthy that they never called upon the Roman government to subsidize the rebuilding of their city. Can you imagine a city of Christchurch, a modern day wealthy city, a Christchurch, New Zealand, who suffers a terrible earthquake, and they say, government, you don't need to help us because we've got all the resources that we need to rebuild our city. That's what the city of Laodicea said. They gathered all their wealth together and they rebuilt their city after it was devastated by an earthquake. They'd started off with Christ and then they began to trust in their human resources with money, wealth and privilege. 
And the testimony that they had against them was, I don't need God anymore because I've got money. They were also known for their fine clothes and fashion. And yet God said, I don't even see those things. What I do see is your nakedness, your spiritual nakedness before heaven. The great Bible commentator, William Barclay, he comments on this verse, and this is what he says. There is little point in a man adorning his body if he has nothing to adorn his soul. Not all the clothes in the world will beautify a person whose nature is twisted and whose character is ugly. Wow. Laodicea was also known for a famous ointment that they produced that would bring healing to people who had eye problems. They had a special eye salve anointment that, would, that, that, that people from far and wide would come when they, had our, when they had eye issues or eye problems, but they had become spiritually blind to their own condition before God. What had happened, friends? They had stopped growing. They had stopped desiring God. They had parked up the truck and the truck wasn't moving anywhere. They'd stopped making forward advancements towards the heart of God. They were beginning to move backwards rather than forwards. You know, even friends, when we stop growing in in the Lord, when we stop pursuing God, my Bible tells me that God's ways are past finding out. That means there's an infinite well and resource of who the Lord is. You will never exhaust in your search for God. You'll never get to the bottom of God because He is unsearchable. He has unsearchable riches. And yet so often we stop like David did and we begin to stroll upon the rooftops of our own houses. And we get caught out. Friends, this is what you call a prophetic message to the church. We've got a few gaps in the congregation this morning. Maybe you can tap someone on the shoulder that you know isn't here today and get them to listen to this message online because this message, I believe, is a message in season with the heart of God for what God is saying to the church right now. Did you know a survey just came out A comprehensive survey called the Wilberforce Survey has just come out two weeks ago in New Zealand. And did you know that Christianity, in the two censuses ago, Christianity, people marked themselves as having an affiliation with Christian church, 49%. And the most recent census that's been published, that dropped to 31%, from 49% to 31% in our nation of having an affiliation of some kind towards Christianity. Now, we know for many of those, that's what we call nominal Christianity. In other words, that's name only. Oh, my family were Catholics or my family were Anglicans. But they're not attending church. They're not, they're not part of the life or community of a congregation. And then they surveyed how many of you regularly attend church. 9% of the nation of New Zealand are in church right now. Friends, we need a church that's fully alive. We need a church that's alive unto God and dead to sin. We need a church that's pursuing the heart of God. We need the church of New Zealand to rise with fresh power and in their spirit with fresh uh, breath in their lungs to be able to declare the works of God. That one by one, like Susanna's testimony this morning, one by one we lead people to Christ and bring them into the saving knowledge of Jesus. They had become comfortable with being comfortable. 
Friends, living in the comfort zone and still expecting your life to move forward is like jumping in your car with the handbrake fully on and still expecting to get to your destination. That's how foolish it really is in our lives. Once we enter the, I call it the eventual death zone, the comfort zone of our lives where we are no longer pressing into God, then, friends, we are in danger of going backwards. No more battle wounds, no more blood stains, no more scars, and the and fighting the good fight of faith because we've backed off and we'll say, let the younger ones do that. Let the younger ones do our battles. Friends, we simply can't afford to take on that attitude. So Jesus had a solution and here's a solution for us today. He said in the same verse to Laodicean church, he said, this is what you need to do. He says, I counsel you. He's saying, get your ears on and listen up. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. What he's saying, that you may be truly rich. Not rich with your bank account, but rich with true spiritual riches. The spiritual riches last for eternity. The temporal riches of your bank account will go up and down and fluctuate over the course of your whole life. But riches from Jesus are eternal and they last forever. He says here, not only do I want you to buy gold refined in fire, what does that mean? That means I want you to be prepared if necessary. I want you to be prepared to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I want you to be prepared to walk through the trials of your faith that they may come forth like gold. Don't be a wimp and back down when the pressure comes on. Amen. When the pressure comes on, that's when we stand up and we fight. That's when we say we've got a battle that's worth fighting for. We are a generation. Our nation needs us. This nation of Aotearoa needs a thriving passionate, spirit-filled, spirit-led, Holy Ghost, devil-chasing, demon-casting out church in the mighty name of Jesus today. He goes on to say, I want you to get by from me white garments that you may be clothed. What does this mean, friends? What does this mean? Because we've just read earlier on today that none of us can be justified by our works in the sight of God. What this means, friends, is that you're up to date. The moment you know that your garments are stained, the moment you know that there is sin operating within your life, gets run to the Father. Run to the Father. No delays when you're confronted by temptation, but you're running to the Father and you're saying, God, clothe me in your righteousness. I need your righteousness to survive because the moment I'm walking around in stained garments, that's the moment the devil's gonna ride roughshod all over me. He's gonna put the boot in. He's gonna kick me while I'm down and I won't be able to get back up because I've forsaken my first love. What else did he say? That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I want to anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. In other words, I want to open your spiritual eyes. And as many as I love, listen to this. Because this isn't Pastor James rebuking the congregation today. This is Jesus bringing us a message. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous. That word means Be super eager. That means get the job done immediately. It means don't put off tomorrow what you know God is wanting you to do today. He says, be zealous and repent. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with he, me and he with uh, me. You see, friends, true repentance is required to turn our condition around. It means I've got to own my sin. It means I've got to confess it and I've got to turn away from it. David's moral compass had completely disappeared. Do you know what happened? Let's fast forward David's scenario for those of you that may need a reminder of what took place. Did you know what kings did when one of their frontline soldiers lost their life in the battle? Do you know what they did? They would take care of the widow and the children and bring them in. So behind this wall of deception, King David has now been seen as the great king who's now taking care of Uriah's widow, Bathsheba. So from the eyes of the congregation of Israel, he's doing a good deed, looking after the woman whose husband was killed on the front line. What they didn't know was that he was sent to the front line by David. He was murdered by David. Wow. So we're talking now four or five months later. The Bible says Bathsheba mourned for her husband the moment the news came that he'd been killed. Do you want to turn that off? Is that people getting hot over there? Yeah, we can just turn that uh, off over there because I'm getting a bit few hot flushes myself. <laughs> it's, it's that age in life, you know. Yeah, that's right. Okay, let's, let, let's just focus in as we come to a conclusion of this message. Four or five months down the track, David hasn't changed a thing. He's living as if he's gotten away with it. So God sends a prophet called Nathan to tell him a, a parable. And this is the story he tells him. He said, King David, I want you to listen to this story. There were two men. One was very rich, and he had many livestock, livestock, many possessions. And the other one was very poor. He only had one livestock, a little lamb. And this man who was so poor, he loved his lamb so much that he let his lamb eat from his own dining room table. This lamb was like a pet, probably equivalent to a New Zealand cat. The Bible says that he ate from the same table that his family ate from, that he drank from the same cup, that he had such a love for this only possession that he had. And yet there was a wealthy man who, whom Nathan said had multitudes of possessions and many, many lambs and many, many sheep. And one day a traveler came from afar and said, may I stay at the rich man's house? And the rich man says, yes, I'll prepare a meal for you. And he went and stole the poor man's lamb, killed it, cut it up, and ate with the traveler. Now, King David is listening to this story. And the Bible says he, was so, he got so angry. 
And under, under Jewish law, if anyone took something wrongfully from another person, they would have to restore four times what they had taken. And, and, and David says, this is outrageous. This man needs to repay four times what he's stolen, taking this poor man's only lamp. And as he's getting angry, as his face is going red, Nathan points the bony prophet finger at David's face and he says, David, you are that man. The poor man was Uriah. His one and only lamb was Bathsheba that the rich man took as his own possession. David, you, you are the man. The Lord goes on to say, Verse 7 of 2 Samuel 12, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. You see, friends, there's three things that God said he did for him. He said, I gave you my Holy Spirit. Christian God, when you became a Christian, when you received Jesus into your life, you were given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called holy for a reason. And yet many of us, we prostitute our lives connecting to the things of darkness and we pollute our temple. And the Bible says as Christians, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. God says to David, I gave you my spirit. I anointed you and you're prostituting yourself and you're giving yourself away in a manner that is unbecoming to a true follower of me. The Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. David had taken the anointing of God over his life for granted. He had forgotten the privilege that was his. He says, not only that, David, did I anoint you, but I delivered you. I, you, were, you were running. For 10 years, you were a fugitive. You were running, and every time you were cornered, I gave you a way out. I saved you many, many times in those situations. I delivered you out from the, the, the plans of the enemy. Do you know what the Bible says about that in Galatians 5? It says, stand fast, therefore. Galatians 5 verse 1, stand therefore in the liberty that you have received in Christ. When Jesus sets you free, you've got to stand in it. Not go back to where you were before, but stand in that liberty. And it says, don't become entangled again with the things of this world. Don't get a yoke of bondage around about your life, but walk in your freedom. David, I anointed you. David, I delivered you from your enemies. And David, I gave you. I gave you King Saul. I gave you all of his women. And still you wanted the one woman that you weren't allowed to have and you pursued her. Did you know that a king's harem, they weren't ugly? Did you know to be, become part of the king's harem in those days, you basically had to pass a beauty test to be selected. So David's got all of these beautiful women that he's been given out of King Saul's house. He's got the palace. He's got the woman. And yet he still says, there's one woman that I can't have that I'm going to pursue. Wow. Wow. 
Friends, living fully alive in Christ means that we can't go back and dig up our old man who is dead and buried in his trespasses and sins. We've got to live fully alive. And you know, without taking any more time, because I want to bring this in for a landing this morning. David suffered terrible consequences for the decisions that he made. Did you know up until this incident in David's life, he basically had a life where his family were anointed, his family were untroubled, where all the family got on well together. And, and, and the Lord said to him, because you have used the sword to kill Uriah, he said, the sword of violence is not going to leave your family. And did you know after that proclamation of prophecy over David's life, his first three oldest sons, all prince heir apparent to the throne, one by one, they were taken out by a violent death. One by one, they were murdered. And you know what, you know what the Lord said? He said, not only that, but, but because you have committed this sin in front of the eyes of the whole congregation of Israel, one of your very own family are going to sleep with all of your wives in the front of the whole nation. His name was Absalom. He set up a tent. He ordered David's wives to come, and one by one, he bedded every single one of them. You see, God's prophetic word comes to pass down to a T. There's not one thing when God speaks that won't, says it's going to happen, will not fall to the ground. It will take place. I want to finish with this illustration today. I read this recently. He's a pastor who, who got his own private pilot's license. And he talks about the rules and regulations of flying and having a personal pilot's license. And let me read it to you. I remembered that when I was earning my pilot's license, I really didn't believe oxygen was that important. The regulations require that it be used any time a pilot is flying an unpressurized aircraft. You know, all those big ones we fly in when we go to Australia and other places, like they're all pressurized, so they can go up to 30,000 feet. But an unpressurized plane doesn't have that, so oxygen starts to run out the higher that you go. He says, when you're flying an unpressurized aircraft above 10,000 feet for more than half an hour, you need to use an oxygen mask. I'd flown at those altitudes many, many times without any noticeable effects. I'm a big boy. I've lived 30 years at 5,500 feet. He lives in Colorado. I've climbed above 13,000 feet uh, many times. Why would I need oxygen? So one moonless night, my instructor strapped me into an airplane and he told me to climb to 10,000 feet and level off. All the way up, he reviewed the regulations on oxygen use. I leveled off at 10,000 feet and he said, look at your instrument panel. Thinking this was part of some of the tests to see if I could spot a faulty instrument reading. I stared at the panel, but I could see nothing wrong. What was I missing? The instructor reached into the back seat and grabbed an oxygen mask. Keep looking at the panel, he commanded. My mind raced. Had I misread the regulation, I wasn't required to use oxygen because we'd only been at this altitude of 10,000 feet for a few minutes. 
As I stared at the panel, he turned on the oxygen and placed the mask over my nose and mouth. Suddenly, the panel lights were turned into full bright. They were so bright, I had to blink my eyes. He hadn't touched any of the controls. It was the oxygen. Without the oxygen, my ability to see had been significantly impaired. Had I stayed at that altitude longer, my vision would have deteriorated even more. Here's the connection, friends. When you and I back off from pursuing Jesus Christ, He is your very oxygen. He is the very life source of your walk and relationship. And before you know it, without you even realize it, you're not going to be able to read the dashboard panel lights of your life to see how well you're doing. Your needle is not going to, it's not going to be on E for enough, but it's going to be sitting on E for empty. And you won't even see it because your lights have dimmed out because you're no longer partaking of the oxygen, the very breath of God that Jesus gives to us when we're connected with Him this morning. David responded quickly. Psalm 51 gives us his response. He says, verse 3, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight. This is after Nathan confronted him, the prophet. And then he goes on to he goes on to write one of the most beautiful words that's been sung many, many times. And he says, he says this create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me, Lord. Another translation says, Renew a loyal spirit. A loyal spirit. A spirit that won't be prostituted out to the things of this world. A spirit that says, God, I'm going to be faithful to you because of the immense goodness of God within my life. I'm not going to start throwing myself around. Because you've created a clean heart and a loyal spirit within me. You see, friends, when our heart is disloyal, there's something wrong. The instrument panel will tell you in your life something isn't connecting up. Something needs to be paid attention to you. It's the oil light coming on. Yesterday, as I went out early in the morning on my bike, I saw a light for the first time. It was the ice light. Never seen it before. Riding in one degrees at 6.30 in the morning, a new light came on my panel, and it alerted me to the fact, it alerted me to the fact, be careful, there's ice on the road. Wow. What are the dashboards of your life saying to you this morning? Only the Holy Spirit can communicate to you. We don't have any right to search your heart and your mind today, but the Holy Spirit does. What is He saying to you? Have you backed off? Have you backed down? Have you backed away from the living God? Are you still pursuing Him like you were when you had your first love? Are you pressing into Him? Are you clocking up more hours on the television set than you are in the presence of God this, this last week? Father God, help us. Help us to be the beautiful bride without spot, blemish, or wrinkle that you've called us to be. Not some flaky alternative that the world never listens to because they don't see any difference between you and anyone else in the world. The light's on, but nobody's home. 
You're the candle in the house that's never lit because your flame's gone out. And it's time to address the wick of our lives this morning. Could we stand to our feet today?